it's time. Let's get settled in. Yes, indeed. The moment that really we're always waiting for because it is the word of God that brings life. Amen. Jesus said, listen, human beings, you cannot live by just eating food. That's not going to make it. He says, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus says, you have to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There you will find true life, not just by eating food. And so we look forward to the meal, the spiritual meal that God's going to set before us today to, to nourish us, to keep us uh, on that straight and narrow path that leads to life. Amen? Amen? Father, we pray now as we see the hostile crowd surrounding Paul and yet uh, another chance to make a defense of the gospel, the good news, and share a little bit of his testimony. Father God, so much for us to learn in a hostile world still with the same message, the good news that isn't well received. And uh, there are some painful consequences sometimes, but teach us, God, through the example of this great man of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So what started as someone's bright idea, you recall, last time has turned into a real disaster here in Acts chapter 21. And you'll recall uh, what led up to that, the Christian leaders there, <laughs> the pastors in uh, the church there in Jerusalem, a very Jewish church filled with Jews who thousands of them who came to know the Lord but are clinging still to uh, the old Jewish customs and traditions and rituals and keeping uh, a kosher diet and the restrictive rules for Sabbaths and holy days and all of that. <clears throat> and this was a problem uh, because uh, here in their midst now was visiting the apostle to the Gentiles as he's known. Paul, a very Jewish guy, but he's a preacher of grace, and he is uh, invested in the Gentile world. And so the Jewish leaders have a problem. Here is Mr. Apostle to the Gentiles standing in the midst with seven Gentiles, and uh, everybody's sort of uncomfortable with this kind of renegade preacher always out there preaching grace, grace, grace. And so uh, they know that their mega church of Jewish Christians, um, they think that Paul is a hater who preaches hate and a very anti-Jewish message out there to the Gentile world. So they come up with a plan and they say, listen, we got a plan to make you uh, a little bit, you're a makeover for your image to make you more Jewish. And so what we're going to do is, you recall last time, they got uh, him together to participate in sort of a charade. There were four Christian Jews among them there in Jerusalem who were taking a very Old Testament Jewish vow. And their bright idea was, hey, even though you don't know them, we want you to go out in public with them, go down to the temple, sponsor them, put your arms around them, pay for their expenses. Then everybody will see it, and they'll come to the conclusion, Paul's a true Jew after all. It kind of sounds like a song, you know? But anyway, yeah, that's what they're going to be thinking. They're going to they're gonna be thinking, hey, uh, you know, he loves the Old Testament. He loves the Jewish traditions. Why look at him? Well, that backfired, didn't it? Uh, really, chaos just broke out there in the temple. And so it didn't go uh, well at all. What happened was there was a hater in there uh, who recognized Paul in the temple, and he just goes berserk. And he mistakenly thinks that the apostle brought a Gentile into the temple when he did no such thing. And the guy starts crying out, help, help, here he is, the infamous hater of Jews, is preaching terrible things about us all over the Gentile world. We got him now. Before you know it, a mob forms. And so that's where we left off, and that's where now we pick up. Now, and we're going to retrace our steps a little. We'll read a couple paragraphs that we've already covered just for context, and then we'll start with the new material, see what happens here with this mob. <laughs> so backing up a little, the whole city stirred up. People came running from all directions. 
seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, so now into the temple courts. And immediately the gates were shut. Well, we're going to get him this time, trap him. Verse 31, while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. The whole city was packed with a million to two million at the time of Pentecost. It's the holidays, and so there's a lot of human bodies in there for sure. The whole city is in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul, poor guy. Moving on, yeah, the commander came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains, an officer on the left and an officer on the right. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some shouted another. And since the commander couldn't get to the bottom of it, he ordered that Paul be brought back into the barracks when Paul reached the steps. The violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried overhead by the soldiers. They're all trying to kill him with their bare hands. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him or uh, uh, rid the earth of him. Just kill him is really uh, the bottom line there. And then new territory now for us today. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, Paul asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian guy who started a revolution there, a revolt? Led to 4,000 terrorists coming out in the desert some time ago. It actually was three years earlier. Uh, Josephus says, the historian. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city there in southeast Turkey, modern day. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps there and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them, in Aramaic is really um, sister to Hebrew. It's really, uh, I would say, probably Hebrew would be the best translation of that word. Uh, the idea is he spoke to them in their mother tongue. All right, let's pause there. Uh, note takers right away. We are going to talk about um, Paul's defense here. Uh, and uh, thanks to the bad advice, he falls prey uh, into the hands of men that want to kill him. And as I mentioned last time, where are all the Christian leaders who put him up to it? You know, uh, they're nowhere to be found. There's no help. There is that kind of happens from time to time. We follow the advice of somebody and uh, we end up in trouble and then uh, there's no help there. You know, anything done in pretense uh, probably is not a good idea. Uh, honesty is the best policy. And why is that? Because it's a biblical exhortation. Honesty is to be forthright and upright. So uh, now uh, it's not the first time we find Paul in danger uh, for, with his very life at stake, and it won't be the last time. There's a couple times coming up in the chapters uh, even more. So he's, in fact, he says in the New Testament on several occasions, every day my life is in jeopardy, every day. Why? Well, the Lord had called him to be on the front lines in a world that was really hostile uh, to the gospel, and he was always has the megaphone in everybody's face, as it were, to let them know that there's a God in heaven who loves us and sent his son to save us. And you can't save yourself. You're not a good person. You fall short. And, he, and, and if you don't entrust your life to him and him alone, you're going to perish forever. And because... Uh, the world did not want to hear that. They pushed back. So Paul's suffering uh, as a Christian, shining the light in a world that Jesus said, I came down, Jesus, John chapter 3, verse 17, verse 19, right in there. He says, this is my verdict. Light has come into the world and men prefer the darkness. They love the darkness rather than light. And so 
If you love the Lord and you stand for truth in this world, we brace for impact, but we know that God's got our back. And uh, these kinds of verses really encourage Christians and also uh, they're very helpful. I mean, we're saved to save. God's heart is that nobody perish. So he puts his spirit in us, saves us, and says, man the lifeboat with me. Come on. So we glean here how to share the gospel. Keep your heart filled with love when you're not well received because the message is not very popular. So, But yet it's the only way somebody can escape hell. So we keep at it, right? So uh, let's get at it. Paul's request right here, note takers, 37 through 40. Uh, His uh, request catches the guard. I don't know if you see that. Uh, Off guard, it's a real eye-opener for the guard. Uh, Paul doesn't sound like a killer. Uh, He doesn't sound like a murderous thug. The soldier has seen his fair share of those kinds of guys. And here's a guy that sounds polite, respectful in tone, and, and he's speaking in cultured Greek. So the soldier knows right away from Paul's words and spirit behind them, this is no thug. Hmm, he says, May I say something to you? You know, Paul loves the Proverbs. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Asking permission, sir, to inquire something of you, sir. Do you speak Greek? That's the idea there. Where, 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 how does a thug terrorist like yourself uh, learn classical Greek, you know? And so it would be like the guy who goes to Harvard. You don't find him robbing the gas station or the liquor store. You just don't, right? You see him embezzling from his company. <laughs> but, but he's not the kind of guy to go into the 7-Eleven and say, give me the cash. You know, that's just not the Harvard guy, you know, because he wouldn't say, give me the cash. You know, he would say, please give me the cash in there. You know, you know. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Uh, so the Roman guard quickly realizes this is no rabble rabble rousing illiterate thug uh, no animosity and he's like aren't you that osama bin laden guy you know uh, because the egyptian terrorists okay come on people i thought you were that egyptian guy with the four thousand insurrectionists uh, you know how did he get that in his head well the crowd misinformation he asked the crowd what's up what's going on and some were shouting one thing and some were shouting another thing and one of the things on the smorgasbord of lies that the devil had put out there is he's the terrorist the egyptian guy you know that wasn't true nor was it true that he had brought a gentile into the temple you see uh, misinformation and lies Where does that ultimately come from? The guy in the temple who went berserk saying, he brought in a Gentile. No, the father of lies who inspired the guy to lie so that the Apostle Paul and the truth in the Apostle Paul would be silenced. And that's what we see going on. So now, here is Paul. They're trying to kill him. They beat him and mauled him. He's in pain. He's injured. And they're still shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. And what's on his heart? And this, is, this just takes me apart. Does he want to get out of there and just recover from the trauma? Is he disillusioned? God, how come you keep letting this happen to me? No, he has the presence of mind and the love and the peace of God to want to share the gospel with his killers. That's us. That's who we are because that's who our master is. That's who we are. When we are cursed, we don't curse back. It says when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we pray for them. Jesus said, pray for those who have it out for you, who make your life miserable. Love them to me. Don't take the offensive behavior or the pain that they're causing personal. It's not about you as we're about to see. It's about him 
And our job is to bypass all of that so that we can still throw them a lifeline. And that's what he's going to do. And (laughs) they hate him and want to kill him. And he loves them and wants to save them. My friend, listen, never stoop to their level. Never. Don't be corrupted. Don't let them corrupt you. And that beautiful, sweet heart of Christ that dwells in you, you're going to get jaded. You're going to become just like them. Jesus said, how are you different if you can't show love to somebody who's difficult? Because even sinners and atheists are nice to people who are nice to them. He says, how are you any different than an atheist if you don't act a cut above and love those who give you a hard time. And so he lifts that characteristic gesture we've seen before, and we'll see it again. He does this thing with his hand, and God anoints him, and there's a God-ordained hush that falls over thousands of chanting people come to a silence. And Paul shoots up a million prayers in one second, and clears his voice and verse 1 of chapter 22 brothers and fathers what a nice way to greet your killers (laughs) brothers family listen now to my defense when they heard them speaking heard him speaking Hebrew their mother tongue they became very quiet Paul's a genius right classical Greek to the Roman and then he switches to his mother tongue himself and they're thinking what he's one of us I'm a Jew as born foreign born brought up in this city of Jerusalem under Gamaliel perhaps you've heard of the most esteemed rabbi in the first century I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, law of Moses, the Old Testament. I love it. I'm not a heretic. (laughs) And I was just as zealous as God as any of you killers today. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus said, there's coming a time, guys, when, when people will kill you and think they're offering a service to God. Done, uh, fulfilled there. Verse 4, I persecuted the followers of this way, which evangelical Christians were called the way. They're the people of the way. Uh, I persecuted evangelical Christians to their death, arresting both men and women. It didn't matter if the mom was uh, hugging onto little kids. No, I dragged her, the woman. You want to know loyalty to the law of Moses? I dragged these Christian women out of the house with the kids screaming, and I tossed her into prison. That's pretty loyal to Moses in in their minds, right? Arresting both men and women and throwing them in the slammer. As also the high priest who's among us here, he's three doors over. Go over and ask him. And, And he's probably in the crowd. He's probably there. Ask the high priest. He knows me full well. And anybody on the council of the Sanhedrin, the 70 member eldership over Israel. I even went so far, I got letters from them, as they can tell you, to, their, to our brothers, to their brothers in Damascus, the Jewish uh, law-abiding uh, people over in Damascus, the Jews there, to, to go to Syria and arrest these traitors, these Jews who became Christians who fled to Syria to escape the persecution. He said, I go after them. I cross international boundaries uh, to get to them, to bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. Let's uh, pause at point number two. We've gone from Paul's request to Paul's defense. It's a heartfelt one, one through five. So Paul's a genius, you know. He he knows several languages, and so he's uh, going to... uh, with the with with the soldier, he uses the Greek, and then he opens up with the heart language. I should tell you, in a mixed crowd, when you're not used to hearing your mother tongue, and then somebody switches to your mother tongue, 
just something happens, you know. Um, I know a little bit of Japanese, and I'm able to do some small talk, having lived there for four years. And sometimes I'll be out and about, and I'll hear, I just know who's Japanese, the accent from being there four years. And, uh, and then suddenly we're struggling in English back and forth, and then I'll just say, hey, Nihonjin desu ka? Are you, are you Japanese? She says, hi, so this, yes, I am. And I'll say, oh, naruhodo. Oh, yes, it's become clear, uh, obviously, wow. And then, yeah, yeah, oh, so she asked me, you know, what, what were you doing in Japan? Eigo no kyoshi deshita. I was an English teacher. You know, kanazawa ni hatsuraite imashita. So on it, on we go, and their, the heart just goes, shh. This is what Paul's doing. He's going for the heart. He's going to find every way he can connect with them. And so he starts off in their mother tongue, brothers and fathers. And this is moving. When he goes brothers and fathers, you know what he's doing. If you recall, Stephen, when he was surrounded by the mob and Paul was watching and waiting to kill him, which he succeeded in, Stephen began his defense with the same first sentence, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And commentators, it's just, surely it's a shout out to here I am, Stephen, and God, here I am, now I'm the Stephen. God be merciful to me. And he says, brothers, look, we're related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're brothers, we're family. And then fathers is a shout out to the respected fighters of the good fight of faith, the loyal Jews. And, and so this is what he's just, and he says, I'm a Jew, I'm foreign born, I grew up here though. Uh, maybe you've heard of Gamaliel, yeah. So I'm not some, some hick, you know, that doesn't know what I'm talking about, but I was, and, and he keeps saying, and I'm fully devoted to God, just like you. And he's gonna use this through the whole, every testimony he gives. He's reaching out and saying, just like you, we have more in common than you think, you see. And so in a, in a testimony, you really want to be able to say, I can understand where you're at. I know how you feel and why you believe and behave as you do. And we maximize that kind of uh, ability to relate to one another. You know, uh, testimony time starting at verse 4 uh, there's nothing more powerful and convincing and disarming than sharing the story of how God confronted you, because that's what he does, and how God changed the way you think and then transformed your life. There's just, it's really hard to argue. You can argue doctrine and Bible verses, but can you? Can you really argue that a former murderer sitting there, a notorious murderer who for years murdered Christians, and now he's preaching the gospel he once tried to destroy? How do you argue with that? And the light in his eyes and the tone of his voice and the proven changed life, it's hard to, to argue with that. And have you noticed that advertisers in this world understand the power of a testimony? from everything they sell, from dog food to, to car tires to, to uh, cruises to uh, awnings over your windows. Everything's a testimonial. Well, you know, we didn't think we needed the awnings, and, but the sun was coming down so bright and heat up the house. And, you know, I said, honey, maybe we should give it a try. And so the man came down. He was so nice, answered all my questions, and they put it up in one day. And now here I am enjoying my lemonade, you know. <laughs> and, and that's what they do for everything. Everything. Why? Because it works. You're looking at proof. You're listening. A lot of it is scripted and false advertising in the world. But I'll tell you what, when you've got a Christian, you say, listen, I once was blind, but now I see I was lost. Come on, when Mary Magdalene becomes a moral pillar of virtue in the community, when Zacchaeus stops swindling people and he starts giving people money and being generous, 
it's just hard to argue with a changed life. And so he's saying, listen, I love this. He says, um, I understand why you're attacking me. And I once was an attacker too. You're trying to, to kill me. You're attempted. You're attempting to kill me, but I was successful. I went all the way and killed them. People like me. So what are you going to say? You know, I, I hated the Christians, then I became one. And here's how it happened. Two paragraphs, then we'll come back and walk through it. About noon, I'm on my way to get me some Christians in Damascus, Syria, of all places. Suddenly, out of nowhere, at 12 noon, boom, a bright light from heaven flashes around me. I fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Well, he, he, he kind of gets the picture. This is the Lord, but I need a little information here. Who are you, Lord? I ask, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. My companions saw the lie, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do now that I belong to you and I'm in submission to you, Lord? I ask, get up, the Lord said. And going to Damascus, where you were headed to kill my people, <laughs> there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. He goes on. He really does, I promise. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus. Not quite how he imagined going through the city gates. <laughs> because of the brilliance of the light, it blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a, look at this, to Jews. He was a devout observer of the law, but he was a Christian. See, you can be a Christian and Jewish. It's okay. It's a Jewish thing, the gospel. That's what he's trying to tell them. I didn't betray anybody. I'm even more of a Jew now because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah promised to the Jewish people in fulfillment of Jewish prophecies. All right, I think you're getting it. <laughs> Brother Saul, receive your sight. And uh, uh, this, this uh, devout Jewish Christian man says to me, at that very moment, guess what? I'm able to see. Then he said, oh, here it is again. The God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a, a Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob thing. This is a Yahweh, Jehovah thing has chosen you. To know his will and to see the righteous one was a messianic title that the Jews would know. And to hear his words from his mouth, you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? And Ananias, Ananias says, get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So that's how it started for Paul and every testimony follows a pattern and since this testimony is going to be in a short book Luke is writing a short account of 30 years of Christian history there and he repeats this testimony three times in a, in a full version now they're always slanted a little bit differently depending on the audience and we always glean something but God really wants us to see we have a testimony, and it's powerful, and he wants us to use it. So they all share some things. Number one, there's always the before life. This is w what life was like before, and you maximize the ways of, uh, that that person can relate, that you relate to that person, and all your reasons why you were dragging your heels, right? And then second, the, the encounter, the encounter with a, a force that you, you didn't turn over a new leaf, but something supernatural happened. There, there was a God confronted you and how he did it and how you submitted and surrendered. How did he do it? And in that time, there's a little bit of time where, aha, I figured out, and then there's some gospel in there. And then there's the, the what happened next. And now, instead of robbing banks, <laughs> I, I earn a living and I am an honest person or whatever it is your thing is. And even, listen, you who grew up in the church and you don't have a dramatic testimony, you have a wicked heart. And I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> you managed your sin very well except you very much know 
your own sinful voice in that head of yours, and you're able to relate to sinners uh, even though you didn't express it. It was all in there, ready to go. And so, uh, and, and even, you know, in, on a positive note, you don't have to be a former bank robber or prostitute or a drug dealer to talk to another drug dealer kind of thing. In a positive way, uh, we went to the Giants Faith Day event, and one of the baseball players got saved because another baseball player was giving his testimony, saying, I had it all. I had notoriety and fame. Everybody was taking my picture everywhere I went. I had a sports car. I had the perfect life. And a hole in my heart, huge. And I was like, what's wrong? I, I, I got there. There's nowhere else to go. I, I'm at the top, and I'm empty. And somebody heard that testimony, and now he's giving the same testimony. And so that's how God does it. And so um, this is what he's saying, that he... Uh, he was so he hunted down even uh, Jewish traders that went to foreign cities. So he says, "Listen, I, I get, I get it. I understand uh, why you're attacking me and all of this." And so he has an epiphany. He sees the light. He says, "And I love this. At 12 noon, the sun doesn't get any brighter in the sky." So he says, "But I saw something even brighter than the sun at its zenith. I saw the light of the world." The one who said, let there be light. The one who, in the new earth, we don't have a sun. Why? Because he's there. And if he's there, you don't need sunshine because he will be the light there. So that light appeared to be. No wonder he couldn't see for three days, right? And that was all part of the plan. And so, you know, he says, I met a person, the son of God. He confronted me. And then I had an epiphany. Whoops. He, I, I found out, I thought I was fighting Christians and the truth that they're always talking about and their conservative values was driving me crazy, but instead my problem wasn't with them, it was with him. I was waging a private war with God and that's what my time with God led me to see. He said, Saul, Saul, what's your problem with me? I don't have a problem with you. I have a problem with your people. I have a problem with the message. No, 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 you don't. You're waging a war against me. You don't want to surrender to me. You don't like the absolute truth. And so you're taking it out on them. But the real problem is you and me. That's what he said. So, so, what's your problem with me? Because <laughs> what you're doing to them, it's actually all about a struggle with me. And you and that ought to help us. When they're kicking back, Jesus said, listen, I tell you, if they're kicking back, and they're giving you a hard time, could you please know that they're, if they're really giving me a hard time? Because you didn't invent this stuff. This isn't your idea, you know? You're just passing along a message that they're uh, a little hostile to. So follow me along in verse 11 now, next paragraph. Um, there uh, he's, he's directed to go to Damascus, and so he ends up kind of needing the assistance of those he came to harm. Now he's not in strength, he's in weakness and in darkness. And it, God uses a devout Jew Christian to open his eyes. And then he realizes, you know what's left? I need to be baptized. That's my story. You know, um, the gospel's Jewish brothers. I got baptized. And the, the idea of the baptism waters washing away our sins, man, who, who, isn't, who wouldn't be? So those Jews hearing that, he threw that in there. He's throwing everything in. He twists and, and turns according to who's listening. So he said, and yeah, I mean, he didn't have to mention that that's what he said, wash the sins away, but they are constantly bringing animals because their sins are never permanently washed away. So the idea of one and done, the lamb sacrificed once for all and all your sins completely, and now you're completely right with God, 
irrelevant of your behavior, irrelevant. I'm not saying that there aren't consequences or even loss of, of reward in heaven for messing up, but you're not going to mess up your salvation because it's not about you and your work there. And so I hear him saying, so how do you explain me? How do you explain that? Give me your explanation. Why would a guy go from having everything and prestige and power and, and, and willingly going from the oppressor to the oppressed, from the persecutor, why would I sign up to be persecuted? Explain that. The only explanation is Jesus is Lord and the gospel is true. Verse 17 now, here's what happened as a result of becoming a Christian. In my mind, I couldn't wait to get back to my fellow Jews in, in Jerusalem. But when I returned to Jerusalem to tell everybody, because certainly got to believe me of all people, I was praying at the temple. Look, still praying at the temple, even though I'm a Christian. I fell into a trance. And I saw the Lord speaking. It's quick. He says to me, leave Jerusalem immediately. And, and he's talking about something that happened 20 years earlier in that very spot. Leave Jerusalem immediately because they're not going to accept your testimony about me. And so I said, Lord, don't be silly. <laughs> These guys know exactly that I, who I am. I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. Why would I come back and say, hey guys, now I'm a Christian. Uh, you know, if it weren't true, so they're gonna, Lord, really, no problem. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, Lord, I stood there giving two thumbs up and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And I love how the Lord, you know, when you push back with the Lord and you're like, what law, God, you know, this and that and the other thing. And he just doesn't even address all the little stuff he just said. And he just goes right back to what he asked you to do. And it tells us, yeah, so of course I'm the perfect guy to bring the gospel to them, Lord. Come on. And he goes, go. <laughs> go. I, I need you to go because I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. Well, this is going to cause some problems, but let's talk about this. Yeah, so, yeah, people don't receive it. You know, Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and accept the world's rejection and hatred of me and you. Pick up your cross and follow me out to heaven. That's what you need to do. So that, that he's just used to this is going to be the way. The shoe's on the other foot now, and so Paul's got to get used to how it feels to be running for your life and be terrorized. And so uh, something that's been happening for two decades plus. Uh, so... Uh, he tells them about what, what's going on here. You got to get out of here fast, the Lord says. And uh, he's just trying to uh, let the Lord know that, you know, I'm the perfect guy. They're going to believe me. What are they going to say? Of course, they're going to believe that I'm not lying, you know. So uh, verses 22 through 25, it's kind of like he got tossed a live grenade and he pulled the pin when he said the word Gentiles. And it's not because he just, a cursory mention of the word. There's something very deep there and I'm going to explain it to you. The crowd listened, verse 22, to Paul until he said this, that God was going to send him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was going to send Paul to the Gentile nations to give them salvation that Israel was forfeiting. Uh, rid the earth of him he's not fit to live as they were shouting and throwing their cloaks and flinging dirt at him so there's garden areas in the temple they're, they're going crazy the commander ordered that Paul be taken in, into the barracks he directed that he be flogged and questioned now the flogging there is scourging it's the Roman form that Jesus our Lord endured on our behalf that could kill you the lashes that Paul received from the Jews were a little bit lighter, but still very horrible, uh, but nothing like this one. So they stretched him out 
and uh, he wants to get some answers here. Uh, as they stretch him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there in classic, polite, great question. Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Now, right away you can say, the takeaway here, Christians can use the law of the land to protect themselves, right? I think that's a no-brainer, but here we see Paul taking advantage of laws on the book that protect him, that give him the advantage there. So he takes it. Then again, uh, in a couple chapters now, maybe even the next one, he's going to know that there's a, a mob ready to kill him outside the door, and, and he needs to do something, so he appealed to Caesar. He used the legal system again to protect himself. And so take that to heart here. So now Paul's uh, punishment. And the crowd rushes the steps like a, a, a herd of crazed wild hogs, you know, and they're outraged. And, and as I said, there's a reason for it. Paul is saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to the nations, uh, to the heathen idol worshipers, to, to preach a, a salvation free without stipulations, without anything tied to Judaism, uh, to a complete bypass of Moses, the law, the temple, the Sabbath, the holy days, completely, 100%. All those things are important. They are the gospel. It's the root of the gospel, right? But they're not necessary to save you so that you can go to a person who doesn't know anything about Israel at all and say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, the Jews were okay if the heathen wanted to find God through them. You'd have to become one of us, and they did. But they never heard that God, Yahweh, <laughs> would, would go to a Gentile and say, just skip over them. Skip over them all together and come to me directly and have equal footing as an Israelite and get everything I promised them to you for free. No law, no Moses law, no keeping the Sabbath, no kosher diet, no nothing. Just faith in this person, Jesus. Done. Wow. So they went crazy. How dare you? How dare you cut us out of the equation <laughs> like that? And that's what he's saying. Well, it was really smart of Paul to even bring it up because he's saying, listen, you got a problem with me and the Gentiles and you wonder why I'm so friendly and Gentiles this and that and I lived in the Gentile world for almost 20 years. It wasn't my idea. God appeared to me and told me the Jews aren't going to receive it. There's a veil over their mind right now. So I want you to go to the Gentiles. So, fellas, I'm j I just obeyed it. It's not that I even wanted to go. In fact, Paul loves the Jews. He wanted to stay there, and every time he goes to a new place in the Gentile world, he goes first to the synagogue, always. Why? Because he'd rather be preaching to the Jews, and he's trying to tell them that. Don't blame me for, for wanting to go abroad. I'd rather be here with the brothers. But it's because of God, but it didn't make any difference. It only really made things worse. Now, this port, verse 24, the commander, he's asked like three times, what has he done? And he can't speak Hebrew. So uh, let's call him Tony, the guard, because he's Italian, right? <laughs> so Tony doesn't speak Hebrew. So Tony's like, I asked you. What in the world? Everything was going fine. Tony was happy. Everything, they're listening. The crowd's calm. And then what did you say? What did you say that possibly they want to kill you over? I want to know. And so, so since he can't get it out of him, and he's at his end, he's like, I know how to get it out of you. We'll flog it out of you, fool. You will be speaking and telling me everything I want to know that I've been asking for for a couple hours here. And so that's what he's going to do. And that's when Paul says in perfect, classic, great, polite and restrained, just got a question. I'm wondering, is it legal? Did they change the law? Because last I heard, it's not legal to do what you're about to do. In fact, it, you could probably lose your job. Now, does he say, listen up, fool. You know, you're about to get yourself fired because I'm a Roman citizen. You know, he doesn't do that, does he? He's got a question, wondering. 
Has anything changed here? Verse 26. When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported, what are you guys going to do? This guy's a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? There's something going on that you think that he doesn't believe him? No, they believe him. It's very easy to verify. But you? I'll explain. He says, yeah, I am. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big bribe, I mean price, for my citizenship. Commentators, it's always a bribe. But I, he says, yeah, but he doesn't say, yeah, well, listen up, you and your fat bribes. You know what? I was born a citizen. You know? No, he says, but I was born a citizen. Paul replied, and those who were about to question him withdrew. The whole place scattered because they could lose their lives for messing with a Roman citizen. So let's talk about the perk of being a, uh, a Roman citizen. And if you're taking notes, Paul's advantage here. Now, you could be uh, given the citizenship, and what it did was just give you perks like crazy uh, deals on everything and exemptions from everything. And you're just, just like the elite. You're like, wow, a Roman citizen. And the reason why he has a problem, like what? He can't be a, no way. Commentators, they say, from 20 years of being beaten, three times with rods, five times with the 39 lashes from the Jews, and once he was stoned to death, God raised him from the dead. Crushed bones. He, this man is crippled over. He's not wearing clothes of the elite. He's not got the jewelry. He doesn't walk around like somebody, you know, with airs, putting on airs. So he just sees this crumpled guy that just is, is wearing just barely any clothes because he's always poor, right? And he says, you... No. Have they just given out citizenship to anybody? <laughs> you know, I had to pay a fat amount of money for mine. And look at you. I don't, mm. and he says, yeah, but I was born. How, how did he get born that way? His father or his grandfather? It was a male thing, don't usually, uh, though not totally. But dad, his dad did something. <laughs> I don't even know why it's so moving to me. His dad did a good deed that got the attention of the Romans and they honored him with citizenship that gets passed down through the children, you see. And so our good deeds, you know, they hang out a little bit. And did, did the father know? He's going to probably save Paul's life because many people died from 39 lashes. Uh, you just bled to death. And uh, our good deeds, they follow and they help those who come behind. And so this is what's going on there. Uh, and so they scatter like that. And uh, I just notice, uh, and we close out with, you know, Paul's godly attitude. There's none of this, uh, mine was free, neener, neener, you know. Now unbind my hands, fool, before I call my Jewish lawyers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he could have done that, but he's not like that. And that's kind of what I want to end on here. I want to end on this guy who has the presence of mind and the heart and the grace to want to share the good news with his killers. This is what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. And he paints them in the best possible light with an intercessory prayer on the behalf of those nailing him to a piece of wood. This is the only way we're going to reach them, that we share in Paul's heart and attitude toward the lost who are, you know, they're not just mocking him or making life miserable at work for him. They want him dead and they've mauled him. And yet, somehow he's able to, by God's grace, and listen to me, he's able to lay the personal offense and pain and sorrow aside because all he sees is flames surrounding them and knows that they would endure torment, quoting Jesus, forever 
in outer darkness, in torment. So, you know, whether you kill me in the process or not, I'm going to die with the gospel on my lips because I'm going to heaven. But you, your soul, I couldn't bear knowing that somebody's there for 10 seconds, let alone forever. So it's worth being able to by step and lay aside our personal offenses. And I close out with this. I've told you before, the gal on the plane, I, I seated there next to a gal who is obviously intoxicated. If you lit a match, we'd all be blown up to smithereens. <laughs> it was so bad. She was so loud and so obnoxious. And then uh, I had an open Bible and she started in, you know, with me and, oh, you know, oh, you with a open Bible, you know, and, and everyone's turning around, oh, who's got the Bible, you know, and I'm like, oh, in my heart, having grown up in a home that was with raging alcoholism, that was pushing all my buttons, I was so despising her, oh, my word, oh, psych. so I got up, and I got a little air from her, and the Lord's like, in my in my head, you're her only hope. You Christians, if you all get offended because he dropped the bomb and you've turned away because they're heathen or they said something terrible or they stand for this leftist thing and whatever and I'm done with that, Jesus says, I guess they're going to perish because their only hope is you. It's the only way somebody gets saved is through hearing the gospel and hopefully with a heart of love and not just saying, you know, I hate you, uh, but I got to tell you this because Jesus making me do it. (laughs) Right? So don't, don't, derail the purpose of God saving you was not just to save you, but to get at all the people around you in your sphere of influence. And so, you know, Paul didn't share his testimony with every Jew he met, but he looked for opportunities. And the bottom line, pushing aside all of the drama and all of the emotions and getting to what really matters, eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we look to you now. We're not very good at this, God. When someone slaps us, we want to slap them back. And Lord, when someone's mean to us, we don't want to love on them. Uh, We want to turn away, God, but help us to be like you and like the Apostle Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. Help us, God. It, it just, it's not in us. We have to have your help and we have to repent of our hard hearts toward these people so that for your sake and for their sake and for the cross's sake, I would be able to throw them a lifeline in love no matter how we're feeling. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.